series where we're sharing about uh, history, his story, God's story, and kind of sharing our own stories. And uh, tonight it's um, uh, my chance, I suppose, to share a little bit of my story. Um, some of the people who have been around St. Matt's for quite a while may have heard me share some of this before. This passage in Genesis, um, I guess I come back to it every, quite often. I haven't spoken on it for a few years, but I come back to it because I think it's a little bit central to some of my journey, my story. Not just my story as me being here as vicar, but really my story about, I guess, how I found God. Or at least I thought I was finding him. The truth is he was finding me. So it's, that's kind of the story. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you you're the God that seeks us out. You're the God of transformation. You're the God who longs to meet with us. And we pray, Father, as we uh, just listen and think about your word and learn about this story, Lord, as I reflect on my own life. Holy Spirit, would you come and stir our hearts, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, as I grew up, which was about a thousand years ago, um, I, I was thinking about my, my childhood, I was thinking about my journey, and I spent my whole life longing for adventure. I was longing for something out of the ordinary as I grew up, um, beyond myself, something bigger than myself, something that was exciting. I hope that life was supposed to be like that. A purpose or a dream or an adventure, I was kind of wanted that sort of life, I guess. And I think probably as I grew up, um, I watched a lot of TV and cinema, and that probably shaped a lot of it. I was the generation, the first generation, that saw the Millennium Falcon burst across the screen uh, with a whoosh and saw Princess Leia with those amazing buns on her head and, um, and saw kind of Luke Skywalker rescue the princess from like the universe's baddest baddie. I was the generation that saw Indiana Jones battle snakes and kind of crazy Germans um, to search for some hidden supernatural relic. I was the kind of first generation that saw Superman at big screen colour save the universe and and the A-team kind of save everyone else on telly. And, and for me, it was, a lot, it was exciting. I wanted to be a hero. I wanted to be part of some big story. I wanted to be part of some epic journey um, and an adventure. You've got to remember, this was before the internet and Xboxes, right? So, you know, uh, as a seven-year-old, you had to make up your own adventures in the garden. And, and that was as kind of good as it got. But I did, and I, was, I, I wanted life to be full of adventure. I was always, as a child, I always hoped for excitement. I always was dreaming of what could be. Um, and, and in amongst it all, God was there somewhere. I grew up going to church. Church was pretty dull, but it was there. And, and I knew God was there. I believed that God was there. There had been moments where I'd kind of glimpsed God and felt God and sensed God. Not necessarily, if I'm honest, in a church service. It was more often sometimes when I was out in creation, looking up at stars. Occasionally I saw an odd, odd not an odd baptism, or there were some odd baptisms as well, but some of the baptisms, occasionally, I just sensed something really powerful as people were sharing the testimony, something really powerful about testimony. And I felt something, and I thought, there's a God here. So God was always out there, but surely there was more adventure, more to God than I could imagine. I always felt like I was being slightly shortchanged. I always felt like there should be more out there in life, but I didn't know how to get it and what was it about. But I was longing for it, to find some sort of meaning. I guess I was always a bit of a pioneer. There's a verse that many of you will have heard, Jeremiah 29, 13. Uh, it's always meant a lot to me, but Jeremiah 29:13 says this. This is God speaking. You'll seek me and find me 
when you seek me with all your heart. So I've often said this. Um, I, as I grew up, I loved playing hide and seek. I mean, I think all children like playing hide and seek, but I was obsessed with playing hide and seek. I had three older brothers. I used to spend a lot of time hiding from them, but that was a different thing. But um, when I was growing up, I used to go and stay with my grandparents occasionally. My dad traveled around the world a lot, and occasionally I'd go to weekends, and I loved to play hide-and-seek with my grandpa and grandma. And I was utterly brilliant at hide-and-seek. And I would play it kind of in only the way that kind of kids can play. No one, no one else knows that you're playing the game. You're just playing hide-and-seek. And I would sneak off and hide with unbelievable patience. I would hide behind doors and under beds. Um, I'd get in the kind of... Um, broom cupboard, the cutlery drawer, anywhere. I would hide just where they would never find me and, and kind of lower my heart rate and go into like this trance-like state and sit there for hours just waiting and hiding, paint myself orange and kind of pretend I'm the kind of wallpaper. And I used to love doing this with my grandparents and would do it relentlessly. And eventually they'd come looking for me after a day or so. Uh, or, you know, they'd open the oven door or they'd open the cutlery drawer and I'd rah, rah, jump out on them like that. And it was on one of these occasions in the ambulance on the way to the hospital with my nan that my granddad said, you're going to kill. <laughs> you're going to kill your grandma. You can't play these games anymore. We're, we're too old for you to do this. Why is it children love playing hide and seek? Well, it's fun, isn't it? But as I've often said, hide and seek, you love being the object of someone looking for you. Actually, the truth is, if you're just hiding and no one's playing along with you, no one's looking for you, that's a really awful game. That game is just called hide and it is not fun. We used to play hide-and-seek with my children. I was thinking about <clears throat> Sammy. I can say this now because he's gone out, so he won't be embarrassed. But he used to, we used to play at a really long garden in our old house when we first moved to Bath. He'd have been about two or three. And we used to play hide-and-seek in this garden. And actually, it wasn't a particularly brilliant garden because it was about 15 feet wide and just really long. Um, but there were a few little tiny trees, and I mean trees that were as thick as this. And he would say, Daddy, play hide-and-seek with me. And I'd be like, okay, son. And he'd run down the garden looking over his shoulder while I'm counting to ten. And he would stand behind a tree <laughs> like this. And his feet would stick out and his tummy would stick out and his face would stick out. And I could see him and I'd be like, Sammy, are you there? No, he's not there. And, and, and he would make it even worse by going... <laughs> looking to see if I was looking. It's the most obvious thing in the world. He was there. Because children want to be found. They want to hide, but they want to be found. They want to be found. They love being found. God is just like that. Listen to this passage in Jeremiah. It's a really familiar passage. And I often say to people, this is not just a passage that we write in a card to people to encourage them because it sounds nice. This is truth. Profoundly believe this is truth. God says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I guess that's his story, that's his truth, that's God's truth, God's declaration of truth. And that became my experience in my life. And the story and the truth of my life that I want to share a bit about tonight. God longs for intimacy with us. He longs for friendship with us. He longs to give us purpose, to give us a glimpse of what our life might be in his hands. 
And he responds to men and women who earnestly run after him and pursue him, who won't stop searching until they discover him. And when we do discover him, we discover all the time he's been drawing us and wooing us. He's been standing behind a tree, peeking out, so that we might catch glimpses of him and run after him. Because he wants to be found by you, by us all. So hold that thought as we think about this passage, this really long passage that we heard um, from Genesis. It's a story that I hope is familiar to you. Um, Many of you will have heard it, and I've spoken on it a few years ago. We look at this story of a man who finds himself all alone in the midst of all his fears and anxieties. His history catches up with him. And everything that he's kind of pushed back and held back and kind of all the stuff from the past and regrets and shame and brokenness and all of that kind of begins to catch up with him. And, 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 and somehow in the midst of it, he finds himself a bit lost. And in the midst of it, he finds God, strangely, who's been searching him out and finding him. And God finds him in the midst of all this debris, not in a kind of fluffy, sentimental, kind of smiley, really nice kind of way, but actually in a way that shakes him and provokes him and challenges him and actually changes him physically, but most importantly, emotionally and spiritually. Changes him through transforming him and restores him to the person that I think God always longed for him to be. And I think that deep down he had always longed to be too. But actually he'd lost his way on the journey of his life. That's my story too. Being lost and then God setting you back on path again. As I said, it's a story that I often come back to because it kind of so resonates with me and so many people that I meet. So I want us to think about Jacob and this story. Jacob is going home. There's something even in that statement He's going home. And we meet him in this passage in in Genesis chapter 32. That um, He's on his way and he's preparing to meet his brother Esau. Now it's been 20 years since he saw his brother Esau. And the way that he left home doesn't give him great confidence for coming back that everything's going to be okay. Um, In fact, he remembers all the deceit, all the trickery, all the craftiness, all the manipulation that got him where he was, to a place of wealth and riches, perhaps. Um, But he cheated his brother Esau out of his birthright, out of his inheritance. And he cheated his brother out of his father's blessing. And he was, so therefore he's not sure what reception he's going to get when he goes home, but he just so longs to go home. And he knows that God's actually been calling him to go home. So I hope this story is familiar to you, but I don't want to make assumptions, because I know some people kind of, maybe aren't familiar with the story of Jacob and his father and his brother. So I I kind of, um, in a couple of paragraphs, have got a bit of a precy of the story before, and I'm going to read it to you just to fill in the gaps for those of you that maybe aren't aware of it. So Abraham, great father of the faith, has died, and God reveals to Isaac, that's his son, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, that she's she's going to give birth to two sons that are going to kind of be significant representing two nations, One's going to be much stronger than the other, but these two sons are going to be really important in the story of God's salvation. So Rebecca gives birth, and Esau is born first. And Esau is like properly hairy. I I don't want to say about that. That's just how he is. He's a hairy baby. Um, uh, This is important, and you'll see why later if you don't know the story. Now, Jacob, who's born second... Um, is smooth-skinned. He's not a hairy baby. I don't know which is better. 
we're not going to go there. Um, but he's born, Jacob was born almost immediately. They're twins, really, but he's born second. But as he comes out of the womb, he's like grasping and grabbing hold of Esau's heel. He's like, he's like wanting to not be second. He's not wanting. And so he gets the name, name Jacob. Jacob actually means grasping the heel of, reaching out, kind of trying to overwhelm, to try and grab, to supplant. Um, it's not actually a great name in that sense, but that's so sorry, Jacob. It's a lovely name for you. And actually, for you, it's, it's beautiful, son. <laughs> but that's what the name literally means kind of in Hebrew. So that's why he gets the name. Anyway, these two boys, they grow up. They're really, really different. One is kind of like hairy, alpha male. The other one, like me, has to shave about once every six months. Um, and Esau is a kind of brash hunter, real alpha male kind of guy, whereas Jacob stays at home. <laughs> Look, this is not you, okay? Can I just, let's just say that right now. This is not you. J- Jacob, he plays bass. He, uh, no, he doesn't. Uh, Jacob, <laughs> he stays at home quite a lot. He loves his mum. He's soft-spoken. He's quite quick-witted. He's quite quick-thinking. And then one day Esau comes home from hunting, alpha male, all hairy. Uh, and he's famished and he's fed up and he's been working really hard. But he agrees in a moment of kind of insanity to give Jacob his, his inheritance rights in exchange for a bowl of soup. Jacob's good in the kitchen. He watches kind of a bake-off. He's quite cool at that sort of thing. And he smells the food that's been cooked. And interestingly, even the relationship with his mum, there's kind of this sort of weird preference and all that anyway so he ends up cheating effectively or or, or encouraging his brother just for a bowl of soup to get the birthright like his dad um, Isaac prospers in Cana and despite quite a few errors in judgment he gets wealthier and he kind of gets lots of property and all the rest of it Um, he's a bit of a wheeler dealer he's a bit of a kind of Arthur Daly uh, gift of the gab he's clever he's sly he lives up to his name and does really really well and one day when he's um, his, his, his father's really really old <clears throat> um, Isaac instructs Esau to catch some game and prepare him a, a meal so that he can give his son this blessing in those days the, the oldest son would receive the blessing from the father the father would put a hand on him speak a blessing which would not just be a nice thing actually it was kind of like a legal I'm giving you all my land I'm giving you my blessing I'm giving you my possessions you're going to be my firstborn you're going to have the rights of inheritance and so the son goes off Esau goes off hunting comes back to, um, to kind of prepare that and while that's happening, while Esau's gone, Rebekah, mum, helps Jacob deceive his father. So he prepares a separate meal and he disguises the younger son with these hairy arms. Now, I don't know what that's like, but they make him hairy so that their dad, who's going blind by this point, doesn't realise. When Jacob presents Isaac with this beautiful meal, Isaac reaches out and smells Esau's clothing because they put some of Esau's clothing on him and they feel this kind of hairy arms. <laughs> And he, thinking it's his son Esau, reaches out and blesses him, promises him the inheritance, promises him God's blessing, and it's a covenant. It's a great power and and, and kind of speaks that over him that he will have greater status than his brother. And Esau then comes back and discovers this deception and is furious, but it's too late. Even though it's been kind of stolen, actually it's irrevocable. They can't take it back. And so when that happens... Esau going nuts, alpha male, Jacob having received the blessing, runs. He flees, he travels right out of his house, he actually goes out the land and he goes and lives with his uncle Laban in Upper Mesopotamia. 
and en route, even in the midst of him running away and deceiving his father, en route is when he has the dream. Remember Jacob's ladder? And he dreams of the angels going up and down. In the midst of the, even in the midst of this, there's a dream from God that God promises to Jacob at some point in the future. You know, that blessing that's been on Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that generation, I am a God who's with you. I do want to bless you. I do want to. There is a promise on your life. Even though you're running away, even though the things you've done are wrong, there is a blessing on your life. Anyway, he runs, he flees, he runs away from God, arrives at his uncle's house where he agrees to work for his uncle in exchange for the hand of his daughter, who he really, really likes, Rachel. But Laban, his uncle, actually deceives him then. And it's almost like you begin to reap what you sow. You live a life of deceit and other people around you start deceiving you back. And all of the land, get, all of his world starts getting mixed up. And he ends up ma- marrying this other daughter. Then he marries, marries the other daughter too. He's got a really complicated family situation. It's, life is a mess. It's 20 years ago. But Jacob gets to the point where being fed up of running away from his history. He's fed up of hiding. He's fed up of living in exile. And he wants to just go home. He wants everything to be right. Have you ever felt like that? You just long for the past to be wiped clean, to start again. You know you've made mistakes. You know you've got where you are. But actually, I can't change any of that. But I just, I feel lost. And I want to go home. And for Jacob, that's where he got to. And I think for so many of us, we can feel like that in our life. Made in the image of God. All of us are made in the image of God. And so there's something within us that is looking for identity, looking for affirmation, looking to connect with this God who we're made in his image of. And even people who don't necessarily have faith or go to church, often they're searching for something. And I'd say they're searching for God. St. Augustine says this in one of his famous books, Confessions. He writes this, God, you've made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. I think that's really true. It can be true for us as Christians. And it can be true for people who have no faith at all. Because we are made in the image of God. Whether we recognize it or not. Whether your friends who don't do church recognize it. They're made in the image of God. I believe that. God's imprint is in them. That hole in them that's designed to be filled with the Holy Spirit is there. God, you've made us for yourself and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. That was certainly true for Jacob. He was restless. He knew that his life wasn't right. He longed for restoration with his family, but also something inside was aching with his relationship with God. And so he's heading home, but he's really not sure what his reception with his brother's going to be like. And that's kind of where we pick up the story. And so when the news came that he was going, he sent messengers ahead that Esau was coming. Is that good news? Is it bad news? Well, then it says this. The messenger said to Jacob, we went to your brother Esau. He's coming to meet you. And he's bringing 400 men with him. Is this a welcoming party? (laughs) Well, I would suggest you probably don't need 400 men for a family reunion. And so Jacob is freaked out. He's longing to go home, but he's trapped. He can't go back to this life of mess that he knows is just... He wants to go forward, but he's caught in this place of being trapped. And so often we can get like that. I certainly really felt like that in my life. And so in enormous fear and anxiety, he begins to figure out how he can meet this challenge of these 400 men coming to meet him with his brother. How he could handle it. So he gets this strategy, divides his family into two groups, thinking, well, if one gets attacked, maybe the other will escape. And then he thinks to himself, right, I know what I can do to pacify. I'll send a load of gifts ahead. I'll send on my camels and my donkeys and a load of wealth and all my possessions. Because that is how Jacob works. 
He's an Arthur Daly. He, Arthur Daly, he, he ducks and dives. He wheels and deals. He, he tries to work out how to make situations and circumstances better for himself. It may not be perfect, but Jacob's always sorted it. Jacob's always had an answer. Jacob's always negotiated and managed and pacified and tricked and connived. He's always sorted it out himself. And we all, every single one of us in this room, have ways of doing that in our lives. When things are difficult, when we're afraid, when circumstances are against us. Things that we do to cover up our insecurities, or our frailties, or our gaps, or maybe our history. Because even deep, I think deep down, the most seemingly confident together people often hide behind masks. Afraid of being found out. I think it's called imposter syndrome. And that was really, really my life. I got to the point where I guess I seemed really outwardly really confident. I would often be perhaps seen as the life and soul of the party, and I would always be able to make people laugh, and I'd be able to join in, and people, you know, it was fun to be around me, I, I, I think. Genuinely, I think it was good, but actually, you know, the truth, I was really, really scared all the time. Afraid that if people found out who I really was, then they really wouldn't want to hang out with me. Afraid that if... If people were going to laugh at me, then I couldn't handle it. Afraid of being rejected, afraid of being alone. And so ironically, to prevent those things happening, I would often retreat from people. I wouldn't want to get too close because you might get rejected and hurt. So I would escape. I would run away. I would be on my own and I would try and hide, <clears throat> hide. And I had a sack full of masks that I could pull out in various situations to make life okay. Okay, inside I was very shy. I was quite vulnerable, actually, I know. And I had a barrel of paralyzing fears, all sorts of fears that I've spoken about before. And it was like I had this really bright, shiny exterior. I think probably quite like Jacob. I'm sure he was fun to be around. He was quite the guy. But I think like him, maybe for him, certainly for me, the bright exterior hid a really sh- sh- a thin veneer of strength. And underneath it, there was a paper-thin soul that could shred at any moment. And sometimes someone would say something to me, or I would think someone, or I'd catch someone looking at me, and I would crumple like a piece of paper. And, yeah, that was the reality of life. And so what you want to do to minimize danger or threat or that sort of thing to, to, to kind of minimize unmasking is either retreat or try and work out a way around it. For me, I became really good at sarcasm. Sarcasm was a brilliant way of deflecting. So I would have cutting words that were, people found really, really funny, but would tear someone else down perhaps. Because if they were laughing at someone else, they wouldn't, laugh, they wouldn't be laughing at me. Complete self-defense mechanism that was so destructive and so painful, I'm sure, to many people. Because beneath it all, I ached. I so wanted a life of adventure. I so wanted to find purpose and meaning. I so wanted to know what life was all about. But actually, I constantly seemed to be further and further away from home, further and further away from less of knowing of who I was. I forgot who I was. I wore so many different masks in so many different situations that I think I really lost touch with who I was and didn't know who I was anymore. And yet in the midst of all that, I had such a longing for God to know him and be found by him. It wouldn't leave me. And yet I, felt, I thought, but I don't know how God could ever find me because I'm not worth that anymore. I remember in the midst of growing up as a teenager, 15, 16, 17, 
I would pray. I would talk to God when I felt really low. I had a Gideon's Bible given to me at school. And in the back of Gideon's Bible, it had those bits. What to pray if you feel lonely. What to pray if you feel afraid. What to pray if you feel scared. And that was my go-to last retreat to try and make some sort of sense of where I was at at life. And in our story, Jacob, he's tried everything. He's sent all these things ahead. He's, he's split his family, sent his camels, his donkeys. He's trying to pacify Esau and these men advancing on him. And he doesn't want to leave anything to chance. So a bit like me, often when you've tried everything else, what do you do? Well, you pray, last resort. And that's what he does. He's tried everything else that he can do in himself. And then he, in his real fearfulness, he prays and cries out to God. And you know what? I think this is perhaps... Jacob's maybe first real prayer, deep prayer. It's probably a very different kind of prayer from the prayer he prayed as a young man when there was probably bargaining with God and negotiating with God, saying, well, if you do this, God, I'll do this. And if you do... He's different. This is what he says. O God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I'll make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness that you've shown your servant. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, I'm such a worm. Why would you like me? Why would you love me? I need saving, but I'm not sure why you would. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I've become two great companies. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he'll come and attack me, and the mothers and the children. And yet you've said, I'll make you prosper and make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. It's like he's struggling. This is his current situation. And yet there's part of him that says, but Lord, I believe you're there and you want to help me. So he's done everything that he can do. And he finds himself alone at night. And that's when this really strange part of the story is when suddenly it says a man comes and wrestles him. And you think, what? We've suddenly gone into WWE. Hang on, what's going on in this story? What? It's not even the message. It's the NIV telling me someone's come to wrestle him. What on earth is going on here? I spent a year in France. I've I've spoken about it a few times to the church family uh, as part of my university degree as a year out. And it was a year that probably changed, maybe saved my life in many ways. It was a year when everything got stripped away. I was kind of in the south of France, which was very, very beautiful, very lovely. But there was no family, no resources, no church. As I say, there wasn't the internet in that day. You know, there weren't books. There weren't kind of, you know, blogs that you could read or kind of worship stuff that you could get access to. Life was stripped away. And it felt like so many things in my history were coming to kind of assail me. And I, it was tough. Life can sometimes feel like that. It catches up with you. And it's only when you stop somewhere and everything else is stripped away. And when suddenly we're not busy, our history catches up. I think someone once said busyness is like an anesthetic for the soul. Sometimes we make ourselves busy because it stops us thinking about all the crap that's in our lives that we don't want to think about. And when we stop being busy, it can be quite disconcerting. Busyness is not a good thing. And so Jacob's here at night and starts struggling and wrestling and discovers that the person he's really wrestling with isn't his history, isn't his past, but actually he's wrestling with God. And as he wrestles, this man that he can't seem to overpower, um, Jacob gets his, his socket on his hip touched so that we're told that he, he, he limps. 
And the man says, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob says this. There's something in Jacob that kind of cries out, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He doesn't even know who this guy is wrestling. And most of us have been wrestling someone all night and they've dislocated our hip. I would imagine our cry wouldn't be, no, I'm not going to let go of you. Not unless you bless me. (laughs) It's a bit random, right? But it's like somehow in this actual prophetic thing, his deepest cry comes out of him. I want to be blessed. Now, what does that mean? Well, two things strike me when you look at this story of this man wrestling with Jacob. What is it that Jacob wanted more than anything else in the world? More than anything. What is it that you and me perhaps want more in life? The deepest long of our hearts. Well, we might have lots of longings. We can articulate those, I'm sure. But sometimes I think we don't even know how to put the deepest longing into our, um, in, in, in our life, into words. Sometimes it's so deep, it's deeper than words. When, um, as a church leader, you know, you're often busy, even though busy is often the anaesthetic for the soul, not a good thing, but often we're rushing around doing stuff. But sometimes in worship, when I have a moment to stop and, or I'm kind of off duty, or someone prays for me, um, we, we experience the Holy Spirit in different ways, right? And God can do giggles, laughter, healing, peace might fall over. Holy Spirit moves in all sorts of different ways. For me, when God really, really meets with thee, and sometimes happens in worship, I just start to weep. I mean, like, properly weep. Weep in a way that is just uh, awful, really. (laughs) It's happened so many times now that it's no longer embarrassing because it's it's just, just, I just weep. I weep and weep and cry and cry and cry. And I can't really articulate what that is, except I know it's my deepest, deepest longing of who I am. And it's, I want to go home. Not in a, not in a, uh, a baby child way, I'm lost, and, but I want to go home. Everything inside me just wants to go home. I love my family, I love church, I love life, I love Star Wars, I love all sorts of things. But you know, we're not really made, we're made for 80 years, 90 years, 115 years, whatever it may be. But actually we're made for eternity to be with our Father in heaven and to rule and reign with him around the throne. And that's what I long for. I long to go home. You know, we see in part now in God's grace, we experience his mercy and his healing and his kingdom. But one day we'll see full in fullness. What's our deepest longing? I think it's to know him and be known by him fully. And that will be manifest in all sorts of different ways. Jacob's longing was to be blessed. And I think that's to know the smile of God. And to know friendship with God and God's presence and God's favour. To know that our lives has meaning and significance and purpose. That's what it is to be blessed, to be truly blessed. And more than anything else, that's what Jacob wants. He's been wrestling in all his life for stuff. 
But what he really wants is to know God's smile, God's blessing. But the way Jacob spent his whole life trying to receive blessing has led to complete brokenness and mess. He's been competitive. He's been conniving. He sought to win at any costs. He's got his blessing through cheating, through lying, through his own energy. And everything in his hands that he has achieved has turned to ashes. And so it's ended up with him fleeing for his life and a broken family and a prospect with war with his brother and potential death for everything. You know, the truth is you do reap what you sow. And for me, what I longed for, I longed for purpose, I longed for significance, I longed for adventure. But I was always looking for those things in other people or in my own achievement. And if you do that, you'll always come up short ultimately. And the more I grabbed after those things to be accepted, to be loved, to be valued, to, be, to achieve stuff, to, to, to be seen as a hero or whatever it might be, the more I grabbed up for it, the more I grasped after it, the more I lost myself in who I really was so that I didn't know who I was anymore. I didn't know who God intended me to be anymore. I lost sight of who God had in mind when he shaped me in my mother's womb. I love this verse, Psalm 139. It blows my mind. It's true for you. My frame was not hidden from you, God, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before any of them came to be. So Jacob wrestles with God. And I wrestled with God. He wrestled at night. Nighttime is one of those times when everything catches you up, isn't it? You know, when we long for tomorrow to come and all those things that in the daytime maybe don't seem so important because we're busy at night catch you up. Anxiety or fear about the future or sickness or do other people like you or what about the past? What about the shame? What about the future? All those concerns. He's, it's nighttime and he's alone. And that's when everything catches up with us. And finally, in the silence and loneliness, Jacob comes face to face with all his fears and face to face with God, and he wrestles God. And it's a life-changing moment. It's so easy to miss it, but you see what God says to him. This is God, right, who knows everything. And he comes out of the way, dressed in a WWE kind of, with a belt to wrestle Jacob. And he wrestles and he wrestles. And then what does he say? He says, this is the moment. What's your name? What's your name? It's a really simple question, isn't it? Easy to answer, isn't it? Unless you know that you're Jacob, the one who's spent a whole life lying about who you are. Lying that you're your brother to get the blessing, to get ahead, pretending to be something he's not. I've spent years of my life trying to be something that I wasn't, trying to be the cool person or the funny person or the popular person or the person who was really gifted. I always wanted to be that person because they seemed to be ahead of me, which really meant that I didn't really like who I was. But God had a plan for me. God liked who I was. It's just I'd spent all my life trying to be somebody else. Just like Jacob. He's been fighting and striving all his life. Who are you? He'd said, I'm Esau to his father. And now his heavenly father's saying, who are you? 
And I think in that moment, Jacob owns up to who he really is. He owns up to his history, his past, and he says, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. And so often God has to get us to the point where we see who we really are in our brokenness and pain and shame. And God doesn't do it in a way to crush us or expose us, but actually in a way that sets us free so that we can truly see the truth about who we've become, where everything else is stripped away so that God can do some glorious miracle. It's disconcerting, it's painful, but when we yield to God like that, we experience his transforming grace like an ocean that floods him. Because I knew at that point in my life who I was. If God had said to me, who are you, Tim? I would have said, I'm a child of fear. I'm insecure. I'm rejected. I'm orphan. But that wasn't who I really, really was. God had a different plan. And God had a different plan for Jacob. The wonder of his story and our story colliding is that we have a God who's able to change history. God can change our story in a moment. Sometimes it's through a season, sometimes it's through experiences, sometimes it's on a journey. But God in his power is able to change our life in a moment. Because that's what the cross is all about. And this is a crossroads in the life of Jacob. He's at this divine moment where God's got him exactly where he wants him, in a headlock. (laughs) And in his brokenness... Jacob knows he needs saving. And so God says this beautiful thing. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but now Israel. And in renaming Jacob, he's acknowledging that this is a new name, a new beginning. Even with all his history, even with all his failures, even with all his mistakes, God works with imperfect people, meets them where they are, shapes them, transforms them, wrestles them, recreates them restoring the purpose and identity for which they were born for. God begins again. It's a recreation. He meets God. And he bears the mark of that encounter, right? He's got a limp. I don't think that's because he's been punished. I think it's to remember so that Jacob will always remember, this is the God who healed me and transformed me. This is a new beginning. And when you meet with God, you can never be the same again. It does, it does mark you, but it marks you in a way that brings transformation and healing. And I realized that in all my woundedness, in all my trying to be something else, I'd spent so many years actually wounding other people. I'd been competitive. I'd been self-centered. I'd wanted to protect myself at the cost of hurting other people. And in doing that, I'd wounded other people, therefore. And I know when God met with me and brought transformation and changed me and said to me, I don't want you to be this person anymore because that's not the name I gave you. God transforms us from being someone who is wounded to someone who can become a wounded healer. That's God's story for each of us. And I want to pray for us that we would have perhaps more encounters like that. It may not be in a one-night moment. For me, there was a night in France when God met with me. I've shared it before. When I was going to bed one night, late in the evening, I was so afraid of everything that I didn't know that I was afraid of everything because it had just become normal. And I heard God say as I brushed my teeth, looking into the mirror, do not fear, for I'm with you. And I utterly freaked out because I heard God's audible voice. 
And as I've shared, he gave me a verse that I went to look up and it said, do not fear, I'm the Lord, I'm with you, which scared me even more. And in that night, God set me free from fear. And that was the beginning of a journey of transformation of my own heart and a rediscovery of who I was. That God wants to take, not just me, but all of us, to rediscover who you were, what you were born for, what you were created for, that you were created for adventure and for transformation. You were created to be a pioneer or a builder, a lover of God, a servant of his church, a prophet, a pastor, a teacher, an evangelist. Someone who builds, who shapes, who transforms culture and society around them. God has a purpose for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future that are unique for you. You were made for God's glory. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not a bit part player in his plan. You are part of his glorious plan of redemption. But no one else can fulfill your purpose in your life. All we need to say yes to him. Let's pray. We invite the band to come up and I'm going to pray for us. Father, I thank you for salvation. Lord, that word salvation means more than just a ticket to heaven. Lord, sozo means healing, wholeness, fullness of life. Healing physically, healing emotionally, spiritually. It means the wealth of the resources and riches of heaven being plumbed into our hearts and lives and circumstances. Lord, it doesn't always mean that we'll be wealthy. It doesn't mean that we'll always life will be comfortable. But it means that your glorious presence and power and companionship and friendship and mercy and grace is always with us. You say you won't leave us as orphans. But you come to us as the good, good Father that loves us. That reaches down from heaven by your grace to transform. And Father, you know, I've been so sorry that so many years of my life were spent. I thought I was pursuing you and running after you, but actually I was running after my own desires and longings. But I thank you that even through those times, Lord, you kept calling and drawing and wooing. And like Jacob... Lord, the deepest longing was only to be found in you. And for all of us here tonight, wherever we are on our journey, whether we know you and love you, whether we're on the path and the place that we're supposed to be right now, or whether we don't know you, or whether we've fallen away from you, Lord, thank you in you there's always grace. There's always a call to come and know you. And thank you that you are the Father who watches and scans the horizon for the prodigals. And you come running. You're the father who runs to embrace. Lord, thank you that you change our names from wounded, rejected, abandoned. You change our name to chosen, loved, honored, healed. You change our name from empty to full. You change our name from cursed to blessed. Father, will you help us all to know who we really are in you, to know our purpose, our destiny, our calling, to believe your words of life, and to find you when we seek you with all our heart. Thank you that you draw us with your cords of loving kindness. And though we face all sorts of 
pressures and temptations and testings, though we face times of difficulty. Father, one day we'll go home to you. Lord, we're just passing through as aliens in a strange land, but one day we go home, a new heaven and a new earth, and there'll be no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, but we know you in fullness. Lord, and we'll gather fully with the angels around your throne, worship you, honor you, be embraced by you, know the intimacy and closeness of the Father, the good, good Father. Father, for us to live is Christ, but to die is gain. While we have breath in our bodies, Lord, may we live for your glory and your good purpose. We look to you, we honor you. May every day be spent in adoration and worship to fulfill your purpose in our days. So your glory might come, your kingdom might come, your will might be done, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.